If you have your uh, smartphones or your Bibles, would you turn to Malachi chapter 3 today? We're going to spend a little time in this passage. We're also going to look at Haggai. We're going to look at a couple of Old Testament prophets today. And I wanted to read uh, these verses to you. So it is okay to have your smartphone out if you've got a Bible app. If not, put that thing away. Uh, God might want to speak to you today. Um, here is Malachi 3, starting in verse 8. You people are robbing me, your God. And here you are asking, how are we robbing you? You're robbing me of the offerings and the 10% that belong to me. That's why your whole nation is under a curse. I am the Lord all-powerful, and I challenge you to put me to the test. Bring the entire 10% into the storehouse so there will be food in my house. Then I will open the windows of heaven and flood you with blessing after blessing. I will also stop locusts from destroying your crops and keeping your vineyards from producing. This past week, the last... Uh, week of the month, our board gets together and we uh, discuss things that are going on. And one of the things we do is we look at the uh, the uh, financial statement from the previous month. And so we were looking at that and, and August was actually a pretty good month. And then I looked at our current balance and it's decent if you don't take into account that we have $10,000 worth of plane tickets for the 14 people going to Haiti that we've got to spend in this next week to 10 days. And then you start looking at the, the bank account and you get a little bit nervous. And um, I've had a couple of sleepless nights this week and I've poured out my heart to God. And in fact, Wednesday night after our board meeting, I was sitting there and it was my turn to pray. Janie and I take turns praying every night and I was praying. And man, I was just, I couldn't concentrate. I was just praying all over the place. And finally, Janie says, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not. Um, because I knew what I had to do today. I knew what I had to bring before you today. And so I decided I was just going to be as gut level honest as, as I could be. You see, we, in nine plus years of our church, we have addressed every topic from sexual sin to adultery. Uh, we've looked at homosexuality. We've looked at, at everything you can imagine. Pornography. We have talked very openly and honestly. And Janie and I were talking. She said, you've never backed down from anything. Do not back down from this. So here's what, um, here's what God is going to show us today. If you're a church member, regular attender, then you need to pay attention. If you're a guest, we're so glad you came and we hope you'll come back. Um, after today, but this is what I really feel like God wanted me to say today. And, and I've prayed and I've prayed and I've never been more sure of what I'm supposed to say, uh, 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 except today. Malachi was a prophet in the old Testament and he wrote this about 450 to 400 years BC before Jesus Christ was on the planet. Now what Malachi was doing was he was doing the same thing that any prophet would do during this time period. A prophet was concerned with really two things, and I think we have this on the screen. Prophet wanted to make sure that when you obeyed, you were blessed. When you disobeyed God, you were cursed. And so they were consumed. A prophet was consumed. And, and in the Old Testament, all they had was the Old Testament. So the last half of the Bible that we have, they did not have with them. So in the Old Testament, they were concerned with, you need to know God's word in the Old Testament. You need to do God's word. If you know it and you do it, God promises blessing. If you know it and you disobey it, God promises he will withdraw his hands from you and he will not bless you. So... Um, if you're, if you're in the Old Testament and you start reading this, you get to Malachi. There's four chapters in the book of Malachi. First chapter, he is, uh, he is ripping apart the priests, the guys who, who were supposed to be in charge of the whole nation spiritually. And he said, you guys are bringing blind and diseased animals for sacrifice. In the Old Testament, you had to take a perfect, sinless third party. 
in order to, to take their life and the blood would be sprinkled and the blood would cover your sin so you could stand before a holy God. So even a casual reader of the Old Testament would, would, would see that they're bringing diseased and blind animals for the sacrifice. I think there's a Greek term for that and I think it's stupid. Okay, you got it. I was just checking. I had to wait because uh, sometimes this crowd, it takes us a minute. But it was stupid. Even a casual reader would say, God's standard was perfection. You don't bring blind and diseased animals to be sacrificed. So the quality of their sacrifice is what God was dealing with in chapter 1. Chapter 2, God says, you people are divorcing for any reason on the planet. And, and in that in that time period, there were actually Jews who said, if my wife looks at me in a way I don't like, I can divorce her. Dude, we'd all be divorced, right? And God says, you're violating the marriage covenant. And then in verse 16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, God says, I hate divorce. And then while God's on a roll here, chapter 3, he says, now I want to talk to you about some finances. He said, not only is the quality of your, your sacrifice suspect, it's not up to par. The quantity is unacceptable as well. And so, <laughs> so I read to you from uh, the contemporary English version today. And, and it says 10%. And he says the actual term, the term that we translate 10% is tithe. T-I-T-H-E. And tithe literally means 10%. And so in the Old Testament, it said to bring your tithe to the storehouse. In the Old Testament, they went to the temple to worship. There was still the sacrificial worship system. There was a, there was a storehouse right next to the temple. And you would bring your tithe, your 10% of everything. You would give it to the priests. They would put it in the temple so that God's house would be taken care of. In the New Testament, Jesus transfers the, the worship center from the temple to the church, the New Testament church. And he is the, the leader of that church. And he says, so bring the tithe to the Church is the t- uh, term in the New Testament. So, now, that is background. Now we're going to go over to Haggai. And we're going to look at Haggai chapter 1. And, and if you don't know where that is, if you have your Bibles, just look in, the, look in the front of the book. Just look in the table of contents. It's okay here to do that. You don't have to pretend like I used to do in Sunday school. And I would try to look and see and wherever they were, you know, I'd try to get in that. You don't have to do that here. If you don't know where it is, it's cool. That's the nice thing about the smartphone. You just go right to the chapter, all right? You just you just do that. Now, this last week, and in fact, if you're at, at Malachi, just go left two books, and, and you're to Haggai. All right. This past Tuesday, I try to go home uh, at least two or three times a week uh, for lunch, and so I was out here, rode my bike home. I love riding my motorcycle, especially now that it's not like an oven. It's awesome. So I rode my bike home, and I was having lunch, and when I have lunch with my family, we have this little thing called the One Minute Bible. And after we eat, we have a good time eating, talking. We read this one-minute Bible and we talk about stuff. This is what we read and it's from the the Living Bible. Here's what it says. Jeff, can you give me a little bit more light up here? Um, I get my new contacts tomorrow and I get bifocals in my new glasses tomorrow. So I am getting old. It requires much light. I'm excited, but they don't have lines in them. So I'm excited to get my new glasses. You may see them next week. Why is everyone saying it is not the right time for rebuilding my temple, asks the Lord. His reply to them is this. This is God's reply. Is it then right the right time for you to live in luxurious homes when the temple lies in ruins? Think it over, says the Lord Almighty. 
Consider how you have acted and what has happened as a result. Then go up into the mountains, bring down timber and rebuild my temple. And I will be pleased with it and appear there in my glory, says the Lord. Your hope for, you hope for much, get, but get little. And when you bring it home, I blow it away. It doesn't last at all. Why? Because my temple lies in ruins and you don't care. Your only concern is your own fine homes. That is why I'm holding back the rains from heaven and giving you such scant crops. In fact, I have called for a drought upon the land. Yes, and in the highlands too, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olives and all your other crops, a drought to starve both you and all your cattle and ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. That's a positive message. Now, in the Old Testament, whenever a prophet would share his message, usually it was not received well. Usually there was a very violent and a very quick response and, and many prophets were imprisoned. Many of them were, were uh, tortured because of their message. But look what happens here. Then Zerubbabel, there's a name for you. Some of you ought to name your next son that. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, or Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the few people remaining in the land obeyed Haggai's message from the Lord their God. They began to worship him in earnest. When we finish reading, you know, we're reading this to our kids. You know, we, we have a good time when we're sitting around and we read this to our kids. And Janie goes, that sounds like us. Us as in new life. Us as in Texas. Us as in Christ followers in the United States. And, uh, and my heart was pierced because I knew then on Tuesday that I had to share these verses with you today. Because some of you are going to say, I know this is coming, I hear it all the time. I've, I've been in ministry now 28 years, 19 years as a youth minister, 9 years as pastor of this church. And, and I hear it all the time. Now is not the time for me to give 10% of my income. We have an offering called the bagel offering. Which is building a great life, we're trying to get out of debt. Some of you are saying, now is not the time for me to give to that offering. Well, here's the thing, Okay. If God has told you not to give, then by all means you don't give. And, and I've told you over and over, if, if I make you feel guilty, then that's a free pass not to give because God doesn't use guilt to try to get people to walk by the offering plate. We don't even pass the offering plate because we don't want you to feel guilty and give because God doesn't bless guilt giving. We have something at the back called the joy basket. Because the Bible says God loves a joyful, a hilarious giver. And you do not give credit if you give under compulsion. So if you feel guilty, you have a free pass. But here's the thing. If your heavenly father, if you've prayed and your heavenly father tells you to give, you dare not disobey him. Because when you do that, you say, God, you are not welcome in my finances and you don't want to do finances Without your heavenly father. Now, um, verse 12 is still up there. Can you go back one slide, Miriam? There at the bottom. Then Zerubbabel. All right. This week I was, um, I was really praying about this. And my prayer was that new life, when the history of new life community church is written, that that they will look at this time and, and they'll, they'll put our names in this verse. And, and it'll read something like, Then Doug, the son of Chuck, the pastor at New Life. Wes, the son of Molly, the worship leader at New Life. James, the son of Bruce, the leader of Impact at New Life. And the few members and regular attenders remaining at New Life after this message <laughs> obeyed Haggai 
in everything. They obeyed Haggai's message from the Lord their God. They began to worship him in earnest. And in earnest means they began to worship him with everything, including their finances. And so in order for that to be written about us, because I... I don't know about you. I don't want to be in the same old church that I've always been in, whether that's New Life or any of them I grew up in. I don't want to be one of those people. I don't want to be one of those Christians that the church just withers and dies because Jesus Christ died to create a family, a spiritual family that flourishes, that reaches out, that is radical. Read the New Testament. Read the first four books of the New Testament. Read Acts, which is the acts of the Holy Spirit, when people were radically obedient to the Word of God. And it says that the message spread rapidly about Jesus. And people became, uh, people were coming into the kingdom of God in droves because the people followed God's Word. So we got to ask ourselves two questions. If we're going to have that written about us, if we're going to be the church we want to be a part of, we're going to ask two questions. This is on your listening guide. Number one, you're asking yourself this. Am I robbing God? And see, there, there's no... This is a yes or no question. Yes or no question. Am I robbing God? Second question. Am I neglecting God's house? It's a yes or no question. Now, the am I robbing God... That directly relates to the 10% of the the tithes, the 10% that you're supposed to bring. Now, I'm not going to say that neglecting God's house, that you're supposed to, everybody's supposed to give to the, the building a great life offering. I'm not saying that, but you need to talk to God. You need to answer those questions on your knees before God. So now the reason I'm bringing this up is because in the New Testament, Jesus said He wants us to live a generous life. We've talked about for seven weeks now that we're better together. And generosity is better when we participate together. And there are four huge benefits to a generous life. And God wants you to live a generous life. Here's number one. Generosity draws me closer to God. Generosity is the opposite of stealing. It draws me closer to God. Look what Jesus said. Our founder, Matthew six twenty one. Your heart will always be where your treasure is. Jesus said your heart, your emotions flow where you put your money. And so if your money is in an investment, that's where your heart is. If your money is in your house, that's where your heart is. If your money is in a boat or a career or a motorcycle or a hobby or anything else, that's where your heart is. God says that money is like a magnet. And so you look at someone's checkbook and you'll know exactly where their heart is or their debit card, which if you have Bank of America, we'll now start charging for your debit card. It's just, I don't have them. I just thought that was kind of crazy. So when I give money to God's kingdom, it's like a magnet that draws me closer to God's heart. Number two, generosity defeats materialism. It defeats materialism. And we live in the most materialistic society that I've ever heard of. Because there's 14 of us going to Haiti Two weeks from today, we will actually be worshiping in a church in Haiti that has nothing. There won't be air conditioning. Um, there might be fans in there. Uh, it'll, it'll be about a three-hour service. And those people are worshiping God. And we'll walk outside and there'll be rubble everywhere from the earthquake because less than 2% of all the rubble has been removed in the country. And we'll go and we'll serve during the week. And these people will be some of the most heartfelt, loving people. They'll give up their time to, to help us. 
build a, a church. We'll, the school is finished and we'll be building the second floor, which is a, a church that the, where the church that, that is actually running the school gets to meet. I hope that by the next time we go, that we'll get to worship in this church. But, but the people who go will come back and they'll say, we live in a materialistic society. Right? Those of you who've been, you'll come back and you go, man, we got it easy compared to these folks. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve both God and money. He didn't say it's kind of hard to serve God money or it's difficult. He's God and money. It's impossible to serve God and money. So every time you give, you're choosing God as your top priority. Those of you who are parents, I challenge you to let your, let your children see you give. They see you make money. They see you spend money. They see you enjoy money. If you want them to be unselfish, you darn sure better live an unselfish life in front of them. So let them see you give. Third thing generosity does, third benefit, is it strengthens my faith. Sooner or later, you've got to answer this question. Can God be trusted with my finances? You see, because there's all kinds of, of scripture, all kinds of promises in the scripture about God taking care of those people who trust in him. In fact, Jesus said more about money than he did heaven or hell or prayer combined because he knew that that was going to be something that competed for our heart. And if you want to strengthen your faith, then, then you've got to trust God. Can you believe God is going to do what he says he's going to do? Giving proves that. When we read Malachi 3, 8 uh, through 10, in there he says, here's how you demonstrate that I exist. You want to prove that I exist? God says tithe. And in fact, God says, I double dog dare you, or however many dogs you need to, to do it. Because, you know, in the, in the Christmas story, it takes a double dog dare to get somebody to lick the pole. So I, however many, if you need a triple dog dare, God says, I am daring you to put your money where your mouth is and put me to the test. You remember when Jesus was tempted in the New Testament, Jesus said to, to uh, Satan, it is written, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. The only time in Scripture that God says, I, I dare you to test me, is in the area of finances. It's the only time that we're given a free pass to test God. And he says, I dare you, if you trust me, I will open up blessings for you that you cannot contain. I've been a Christian for 41 years, and, and in that time... God has asked me to do some pretty crazy things. And he's asked me to give beyond what we were able to give. When Janie and I were first married, we were in Arlington. She was a school teacher and I was a part-time youth minister going to seminary. And one day I was driving down the road. I was listening to W... Uh, I can't remember. It wasn't WBAP. They're not Christian. I was listening to uh, one of the radio stations in Arlington. And they told about some pastors from Cuba that were fleeing Cuba trying to get to the United States because they were being persecuted. And some of them were being tortured because they were Christ followers. And they needed money to rescue them. And so driving down I-30 in Arlington, Texas, I said, God, do you want me to give? And he said, yes. And I said, how much? And so I talked, I talked to God about it and went home, talked to Janie about it. We ended up giving $1,000. Now, I got to tell you something. I've never, ever in 28 years told totals. And God said, I got to tell you totals today. So we gave $1,000 and, and we were poor. It didn't make sense, but we gave $1,000 and God blessed us. Um, a few years ago, I think it's 12 to 13 years ago, um, the church I was at was having a giving emphasis and we were trying to get out of debt because we were about $2.7 million in debt. Pastor had been preaching. And he said, we've got to step up and we got to get out of debt. So Janie and I started praying 
And uh, at the time, our, our checking account was, was, you know, maybe a few hundred dollars. We were living paycheck to paycheck. But we had this um, mutual fund back before kids were born when we actually had a little money. I bought some mutual funds, and so we were supposed to give that is what we felt like. And it's worth a little bit over $3,000. And we just transferred it to the church so it never came into our hands. And, and so that the church got the benefit, and we didn't have to pay any taxes on it. And then last year, we did this uh, series called Building a Great Life. And we challenged, eight weeks, I challenged our people to pray and ask God what they were supposed to do. We gave out devotionals. We did daily devotionals. We spent eight weeks asking God what we're supposed to do. And we took this one-day offering because we were buying the new land over here where you see the parking lot extension and the little house down there where we're going to buy that. We were taking a one-day offering so that we could buy that land. And then we were making 36-month pledges, three-year pledges, over and above the tithe to try to get out of debt as quickly as we could. And so uh, our whole family was involved. We were doing the daily devotionals. And and during that time, um, I had challenged the church. I said, don't give what's easy to give. You need to ask God, what, what do you want me to give? And so Rachel says to me, she goes, daddy at the table, daddy, what would be easy for us to give? And I, you know, kids, they're going to ask you. So I said, well, we could probably, we do the envelope system, the Dave Ramsey envelope system. So we had some cash and we could take some cash out of some of the envelopes and we could have come up with $500 pretty easily. And so I said, $500. And she said, well, what about the three-year commitment? And I, I think I said uh, $2,500 for three years because I'd done the math. If you do 36, if you do 2,500 divided by 36, that was $69.44 extra a month that, that we could commit to getting out of debt for a church. And I thought, dude, that's two more yards. I can mow two more yards. Not a big deal. We could do that pretty easily. And so then my sweet daughter says, Daddy, what would be hard for us to give? And I, and I thought for a minute, and I think, I, I don't remember exactly, but I think I said $1,000, because that was twice what I'd already said. It's got to be hard. If 500 is easy, $1,000 got to be, gotta be uh, hard. And then I said, and she goes, well, what about the 36 months? And I said, I doubled it. I said $5,000, because I did the math on that, and that's 138 And I was like, okay, four lawns a month that I need to mow so we can cover that, Lord. And so we kept praying and Janie and I would pray and we were talking like crazy. We were praying and and it was getting crazier and crazier because the number kept going up. And uh, eventually we gave a $2,500 one day cash offering to the church on the the deal. And then as we were praying, Janie said, what what do you feel like we really need to give over these next three years? And I said, $15,000. Over and above the tithe. And so... Our one-day offering went up five times what I thought would be easy. And our three-year commitment went up six times what I thought would be an easy three-year commitment. So, and, and if you read about Paul, Paul at one time, he says, I am crazy to talk like this. I feel like I'm crazy to talk like this today. I feel like I am so far out there telling you this stuff because I've never said totals before. People that are in the church leadership, they know, but I've never said this before. Why in the world after 28 years would I begin to tell you that? Because right now, I want you to know that right now as your pastor, Janie and I are giving combined as of today, a thousand dollars a month to the church so we can do what God wants us to do. And we do not make $10,000 a month. All right. Why would I do that? Number one, I refuse to go off a commitment I made 20 years ago. Number two, I want to grow. And number three, as your pastor, I will never, ever ask you to sacrifice more than I do. Paul says we're supposed to outdo one another in generosity. 
maybe this is a pride thing, but you're not going to outdo me in generosity. Because I've learned, number four, Janie and I have learned, you cannot outgive God. And then number five, I really believe this stuff. I really believe what I'm telling you. I'm not feeding you a bunch of bull. I believe it's real. There's a fourth benefit to uh, generosity, and it's that it makes me happy. Because when you boil it all down, there are two types of people in this world. There are givers and there are takers. Just two, givers and takers. And, and you've got to decide which one do you want to be in. And, and as your pastor, I want you to become a generous person because I know it affects every area of your life. There's a psychiatrist, world-famous psychiatrist, started the, the Menninger Clinics. His name's Carl Menninger. Here's what he said. Giving is an important criteria of mental health. Generous people are rarely mentally ill. The people I know who are the most generous are the happiest people I've ever met. And, and the other side of that is the people who are the most selfish. Not only are they unhappy, everyone around them is unhappy. In the weeks ahead, we're going to find out if new life is a doer of God's word or if we're merely hearers only. Because quite honestly, if we have, if October is a month like we had in, in September, then we, we can't pay stuff. We have a little bit of money in the bank. But we need three months to even catch up to what we believe God had called us to do for the year. We're at the point that we've got to lock down all of our extra spending. So we need people to be doers of God's word. And let me tell you this, when you begin to get serious about God, and especially if you decide to become a generous person, Satan will attack you because he does not want you to be generous. He does not want your heart to look like Jesus Christ's heart. But I want you to remember this, Satan's going to attack you. And in fact, Satan's already attacked a bunch of you. That's why you've quit giving. You see, the, the problem is not, if you're a guest, the problem is not you. If you've been coming for the last few weeks, the problem is not you. The problem is the people who've been here for several years and have even signed a pledge saying, I'm going to support new life, not only with coming, but also with giving. Because I printed this out. And by the way, nobody's ever going to see this. <laughs> but I printed this out because I wanted to count. I wanted to know how many tithers we have in our church. We got a couple of hundred people here today. We have 24 tithers in our church. That's, so we've got, we, we have 10% of our church gives 10%. That's what that boils down to. And that's unacceptable. Right, God doesn't tell you not to give. That's right. So let me read a proverb to you. Here's what God says to you. Proverbs 22, 9. Generous people will be blessed. Well, how does God bless you? Here's the thing. He gets to choose. Because he's God, he gets to choose how he's going to bless you. When we started New Life, church couldn't pay us. We were living off of what we had already made. And, and we didn't have health insurance for two to three years when we started this church. In two to three years, not one of us got sick. My kids were seven, five, and two when we started the church. Nobody went to the emergency room. And if you know the Washburn side of the family, that is a miracle that nobody went to the emergency room in a two to three year period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been there several times myself. Now, before we finish today, I need to explain to you the difference between faith and bargaining with God. 
God is not a bargaining God. You don't get to play, let's make a deal with God. You don't get to say, God, if you'll help me close this million dollar deal, then I will give you $100,000. That's bargaining. God doesn't do that. God says, no, no, no. You need to decide on the front end. Faith is, God, I'm going to declare before it happens that I'm giving you 10% of everything that you give to me. That's faith. And God grows your spiritual life when you exercise faith on the front end. God will work with you and, and help you out. Now, um, you do obedience first and then blessing. That's what God wants. Now, some of you today, you've never heard anything like this before. You've never had a church somebody, pastor talk because this is not good for job security. But you've never heard anything like this before. And this is going to be your very first opportunity to see God work in your finances. My, my challenge to you is pray. Don't do it because I said you should do it. You go and you start praying. Whatever God tells you to do, you do. Some of you, you know you're supposed to give and you're worried about it. And my, my advice to you is stop worrying. How big is your God? Or maybe I should ask, who is your God? Because Jesus says, if you give, he will take care of your needs. So you say to God, God, I'm going to give you the first 10%. And I'm going to offer you, I, I, as your pastor, I'm offering you this. Carlene, um, several years ago, Carlene's one of our board members now, but several years ago, she didn't join our church. And she told me this Wednesday night that she didn't join our church because one of the things we expected as a church was 10% because that's what the Bible teaches. And so when she finally, you know, was challenged, was I was doing a series on money. And, and I said, here's the thing. As New Life Community Church will give you a money back guarantee. You start tithing. And this is what I'm offering today. You start tithing, giving 10% of your income. Keep up with it for six months. If after six months, God does not bless you, we will give you your money back. We'll even give it to you with interest. Because I believe that God is a God who keeps his promises. And then there are folks here who are financially strapped right now. And some of you are out of work. Some of you um, are on the verge of bankruptcy. Things are really tight. And I would just want to say to you, don't worry. God knows exactly where you are. He loves you. We love you. And see, actually, if you don't have any money, that's the easiest 10% commitment in the world. Because 10% of nothing is nothing. Then you say, God, I got nothing, so I'm going to give you 10% of that. But here's what you say. You say, God, as you bless me, I will honor you with 10% of what you bless me with. And watch what God does. I'll give you the same money back guarantee. If after six months, God has not blessed you, new life will... And we'll stand up here. I'll present it to you in front of the church. We'll film it. We'll stick it on YouTube. We'll put it wherever to prove to you that God is a God who keeps his promises. Now, if you... It's really a matter of the heart. Because I want you to see 1 Corinthians 8, 12. I mean, 2 Corinthians 8, 12. If you're really eager to give, then it isn't important how much you give. How much you have to give. God doesn't care about the amount. He cares about your attitude. It's obvious we're all at different life stages. You know, we, some of us have little kids and we've got all kinds of medical bills. And some of us are not having jobs that we want to have. And we're just trying. Man, I swept floors in between churches before we started this church. I swept, swept floors for minimum wage because we had to put groceries on the table. I've told you this before. is me and, and three guys of his, Hispanic origin who did not speak English. That's the funniest cleaning crew you've ever seen. They didn't know what I said. They probably did know what I said and they just pretended. Make the white boy look funny. Because I did, man. And it's one of these things. It's not like the other. You know, and we're running around and sweeping. And, but I had to do what I had to do. And God blessed us over the long run. Now, today, we're... Uh, 
I, I just want you to realize what we're talking about is equal sacrifice, not equal amounts. Equal sacrifice. That's why God put the 10% number there. So that we're all equally sacrificing. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to take the Lord's Supper today. And, and the reason, here's the reason, is because the Lord's Supper is a reminder of the generosity of Jesus Christ. You would not be alive without the generosity of your Heavenly Father. You wouldn't have the blessings you have. You wouldn't have your next breath without the generosity of your Heavenly Father. And He sent Jesus Christ to die in your place. And, and what the Lord's Supper represents is on the night before Jesus hung on the cross to pay for your sins and mine, He says that He took the bread and the cup and He said, this bread, I'm going to give you two symbols to prove to you how much I love you and to remind you of everything that I've done. Two symbols. One is the bread. So He takes the bread and He breaks it and He says, this is my body broken for you. Now, He hadn't gone to the cross yet, so obviously it wasn't His physical body. He's saying, this is a representation of my body broken for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. And then He took the cup. And the cup was a big deal because in, in that culture, um, one of the things this Passover cup reflected was total commitment. And so he's talking to these Jewish people, these Jewish men, and he says, will you marry me? And it's the strangest thing in the world for him to ask a bunch of men to marry him. But he talked about the kingdom of God. The bride of Christ is the church. And so in their culture, what would happen is when a man would go to marry uh, a woman, he and his dad would go to their tent because they, most of them lived in tents or if they had a house, they would go to the house and they would walk over there and the, the dads would get together and they would negotiate a price that was acceptable for the daughter. It would have to do with lost income he was going to have, lost comfort, all of those things. And so the dads would negotiate a price and the, the, the dad of the groom would say, that's an acceptable price. He would turn to his son and he would say, son, are you willing to give this much for her so she can be your bride? And the son would say yes. And so he would pick up the cup, this cup that Jesus was doing the last night. He would pick up the cup and he would drink it. And he would say, I'm accepting this. I will pay that price. And then he walked over. My wife's over here today. So he would walk over to the wife. Excuse me, ladies. He would have the cup. We'll just do it. Let's just act it out. This is a sorry cup to do this with. If I were, if I were proposing to her, it would be a better cup. But he would say to her, I am offering you my life. Will you accept my life and give me your life in return? And if she accepts it and she takes it and drinks it, she's saying everything you've offered me is acceptable and I give you everything of myself in return. Glad you did that. <laughs> so when you come to the Lord's Supper today, and, and by the way, the only requirements for, for taking the Lord's Supper is to be a Christ follower, to be a member of His family. If you're not a Christ follower, it's okay. Don't, don't come, don't pretend, anything like that. Because there's going to be some Christ followers who don't come to the table today. Because anytime you take the Lord's Supper, we, we tell you this every time, you're supposed to do four things. You're supposed to look back at the death of Christ. Everybody can do that, that's easy. You're supposed to look within, and if there is sin in your heart, you're supposed to confess that sin before you ever come to the table. That's easy. We can do that right here. But there's a third thing you're supposed to do. You're supposed to look around. And if you have other believers, the Bible says, that have something against you, you're supposed to get up and go make things right before you come to the table. And some of you are not going to have that opportunity right here, right now, to go make things right with somebody in this room because the person you need to make things right with is not in this room. So don't you take the Lord's Supper if you know somebody has something against you, another believer in Christ. You go make it right and then you take it the next time. And then the Bible says when we take the cup, we've got three different tables, and you just go to the one that's closest to you. 
Bible says when you take the cup and you eat the bread, you're preaching a sermon. This is why it's only for Christ followers. Because when you take the cup and you and you eat the bread, you're saying, not only is Jesus Christ who He said He was, not only did He die on the cross to save us from our sins, not only did He give everything and offer His life to me, He's coming back. He didn't stay in the grave. He, he rose from the dead and every promise Jesus has ever made, He's kept. And one of the promises He said is, I'll be back. And so when we take the Lord's Supper today, we're proclaiming to everybody, we serve a risen Savior who promised to come back. 